I'm going to lose. I can already tell. I used to hate facial hair, but then it grew on me. You didn't look at my eyes very long. I used to play piano by ear, but now I have to use my hands. I'm good. Do you want to hear two short jokes and a long joke? Joke, joke, joke. <laughs> <laughs> I told you I was gonna lose. I'm, I'm gonna lose horribly. Oh, wait. No, this, this is serious. Um, mm. Given the times, do you know why balloons have become so expensive? Inflation. <laughs> this is bad. What did the drummer call his two daughters? I think I've heard this one. And a one and a two. <laughs> that counts. That's good. Let's see. After an unsuccessful harvest, why did the farmer decide to try a career in music? I don't know. Because he had a ton of sick beats. Okay. Yeah, that was good. That was good. I have a joke about chemistry, but I don't think it'll get a reaction. We're not very funny. Nothing. point for that, I think. <laughs> oh, no. My wife asked me the other day where I got so much candy. I said, I always have a few Twix up my My parents raised me as an only child that really annoyed my two younger brothers. <laughs> I don't get why Marvel doesn't use the Hulk to advertise more. He's basically one big banner. I guess that's the Hulk's name, right? Yeah, yeah. Bruce Banner. Yeah, I, I get I, it. That's why I skipped that what one. What did the tortilla say to the face? That was a bad slap. Well, if you haven't seen the first one of those, you really should go to YouTube and, and watch the first one. It's good fun. Anyway, welcome to First Christian Church. We're glad that y'all are here. We want to just wish you fathers a happy Father's Day today. We want to celebrate you. So if, if you didn't get a donut on the way in, or if you already did, you can grab another one on the way out. Um, get one off the donut wall. So we're going to start off this morning by singing, celebrating um, what God has done, His goodness. So if you're able, why don't you go ahead and, and stand and sing with us. Awake my soul. I just, I pray, that's my prayer this morning, that all of our souls would be awakened to the reality that 
that he is here with us. He's in this place and he wants to move. So let's be diligent to, to seek him and to listen. Let's worship. Sing his praise aloud. Sing his praise aloud. 
some praise. You know, I think that song is really kind of difficult to sing to, because it speaks of our life as a, as a living sacrifice. And I think that oftentimes we go about our life and we just think, what can we do to make me happy? Like, what do I do? What do I, what do I want? What can I get that's gonna make me happy? But when we sing the song, the song, the bridge, I won't bow to idols. I'll stand strong and I'll worship you. And if it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice. Death is a doorway. It, it talks about, about walking through difficulty, about being persecuted for what, what we stand for. And that's not an easy thing to do. That's, those are hard, difficult words to speak. And oftentimes if we walk and we walk in that way so that Christ would be magnified in our life, sometimes it's hard. And we can look around and we can think, God, why is this happening to me? You know, we're, we're giving up our lives for you and there's difficulty. Um, but I, I ran across this scripture as I was reading through the Psalms this week. I just wanna share it with you. Psalm 131 says, Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I've calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Oh Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. And I think to be able to walk through difficulty but still sing his praises. That's the mark of a true a follower of Jesus Christ. And I think it's hard, right? It's hard. We always want answers. We always wanna know why. We wanna know why. But like this Psalm says, I don't think on things too great for me. We leave those things to God. And when we do that, we can find that calm and we find that quiet in our soul. And then we can put our hope in the Lord, like the very last line, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. So I don't know what it is you're walking through, but if you can just find the calm and the quiet in your soul to be able to leave the questions maybe unanswered to a great and a loving God, then we can put our hope in Him. We're gonna continue, we're gonna sing about that hope, that living hope and the true hope as followers of Jesus. That hope is only found in Jesus Christ. So let's continue. Let's lift up his name together. Three. 
Jesus, we come to you right now. Lord, you are a living hope. You are all. Lord, we thank you for this time that we have to worship you, to praise you, to come unite together and show our love for you. Lord, I pray on this weekend, Lord, that the Father's Day weekend, Lord, that our Father's hearts would just cry out that much more. Lord, to be more like you. When we don't have the knowledge that we would call on you for the wisdom. Lord, when we don't have the patience, Lord, that, Lord, we call on you for the patience. Lord, we just ask for an outpouring of your love, Lord, when we have nothing left to give. To be the best men, to be men like you, to be the father that we want to be, Lord, mirrored after. We praise you, Lord, for what you've done in our lives. Lord, you've done in this church, in this town, in this country. Lord, continue to raise up good fathers and good men. bless this weekend, Lord. In your precious name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Yes, he did. Well, welcome once again. We're so glad that you've joined us here in person, both in the West and the East, and those joining us online. And guests, we want to extend a special welcome to you. We're so glad that you're here today. If you're joining us online, you can text the church's number, and we have some people that love to connect with you in that way. If you're here in person, you can stop by our Start Here tables. We have some volunteers and some staff that love to get to know your name, shake your hand, find out a little bit about you, and help you get connected here at First Christian. We have one of those opportunities coming up on June 28th. Our family ministries team is hosting an evening at Overlook Adventure Park uh, where we'll have putt-putt and ropes. It's a great evening. Everybody is welcome. Bring your family, bring your friends. Um, I don't know, putt-putt always ends in fights in our house, but it really is a good evening. So you should definitely come, mark your calendar and join us for that. And today we're sending off our students from our Student Life Ministry um, on a missions trip to Kenosha, Wisconsin. Um, all three of my kids are going, so thank you, Family or Student Life Ministries. <laughs> but as I was thinking about that and um, praying for this week for them, I thought about my life and the experience that I've had. And my, my faith has been so moved and changed by experiences on missions trips as I look back. And the work I did was important, but the work that God did in me was important as well. And so as we think about our students and sending them off, I'd encourage you to spend some time praying for them this week. We're gonna pray for them this morning as well. But I was also aware of the fact that there are many in our congregation who gave above and beyond and supported the students as they went. And if you give faithfully and generously each week, even though we may not all be going physically on this trip, we are all a part of the work that God is doing. And we wanna say thank you for doing that, for giving faithfully and generously. And I wanna take a moment to thank God for the way that he provides for us and the opportunities that he gives us to partner with him and then pray for our students. So let's pray together. God, you are a generous God. You are our provider. We have all that we need. We have food on our table, clothing in our closets, God, and, and we're aware that the work that Jesus did changed everything for us. And so God, we say thank you and we give back with hearts of gratitude. 
And I pray for the students as they head to Wisconsin this week. I pray for your blessing of safety and protection over them. And I also pray that their eyes and their hearts would be open, that they'd see the amazing things that you are doing in our country, God, and the way that you are a big God. You don't just exist here in our tiny space, but that you are at work around the world. And I pray that the students would get a glimpse of that and a taste of that this week, and that their hearts and their lives would be forever changed, and they would fall more deeply in love with you. We love you, God, in your name, amen. Well, good morning. I want to welcome you here on this Father's Day weekend. Welcome in the West Auditorium and the East Auditorium and everybody joining us online. And I want to invite you to turn in your Bible or your Bible app to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, if preaching is not nerve-wracking enough, uh, last night I came in here and Pastor Wayne was sitting on the front row and he goes, hey, what are you preaching on this weekend? I said, Ephesians chapter 4. And he goes, oh, that is my favorite passage. I just preached on that recently. And then he started reciting it from memory. So, you know, no pressure. Right. Anyway, it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, we know that the book of Ephesians really is a letter uh, written by the Apostle Paul in the first century to the church of Ephesus, but it's really a letter written for all Christians throughout time, including us. And today, in chapter four, we're kind of at a pivotal point in the letter. Up to this point, in verses, chapters one through three, he, Paul, he's written about everything that God has done for us and who he's called us to be, and then today, he kind of transitions into something New, something that is important for us to know. And, and to give us kind of some perspective on that, I want to start actually a couple of verses before chapter four, in Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21, which are verses that we've read several times throughout this series. And so let me read this for us. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And to me, that feels like the end of the letter, right? Like Paul could sign his name and just say, hey, peace out, Paul, and we'd be like, okay. Uh, but he doesn't stop there, right? He goes on in Ephesians 4.1, and he says this. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And that word then, it doesn't seem like a big deal, right? Uh, but it is. In fact, in many translations, the word then is actually translated therefore. Let me show you another translation from the New Living Translation that says this. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling, for you have been called by God. And when I was a youth, when I was a student minister, when I was in student ministry, my youth pastor would say, when you see the word therefore in scripture, you should always ask yourself, 
what is it there for? Which is terrible grammar, right? But the point is that this is a point in Paul's writing where he is changing his focus from what God has done for us to what it means to live in response to that. He's moving from what we believe to how we live. He's moving from Christ's saving power for us to Christ's saving power in us. And, and as Paul begins this section, as he begins what it means for us to live this out in our faith, he talks about one idea, and that is the idea of maturity. Paul says, it's time to grow up. We catch this in verse 14 of chapter four, where Paul says, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So what Paul's saying here, he's saying in light of everything that he's written up to this point, and talking about what God has done for us and talking about who we are in light of that, he's saying in response to that, it's time to grow up. And so let's talking about growing up for a minute, right? Growing up, it's kind of a weird thing. It's often not what we expect it will be when we're children, right? And so when kids are little, we like to ask them questions like, what would you like to be when you grow up? And they say things like doctors or lawyers or ballerinas or bakers or something like that, professional athletes maybe. And then I remember when my son, he was in kindergarten and uh, his teacher asked him this. His assignment was to write this down and then draw a picture. And so I remember the day he brought this assignment home. <clears throat> and at the top it said, when I grow up, I wanna become fill in the blank. And it didn't say professional athlete, it didn't say fireman. It said, when I grow up, I wanna become a zebra. <laughs> and it had this awesome picture of a zebra. And I mean, who wouldn't wanna be a zebra, right? I suspect it's a goal that he's not gonna achieve. Um, and I did, by the way, ask his permission to share this story, so. Um, you know, growing up is often not what we think. And I don't know why I thought these things, but I remember when I was a kid, I thought when I grew up, I would have all kinds of money and I could buy whatever I wanted. I would have a fast sports car and then I would someday have kids so they could do the chores for me so I wouldn't have to do chores. And that's almost the way it worked out. In fact, as I was thinking about this this week, I thought, you know what, I, I would love to go back to being a teenager because I think I had more discretionary income then than I do now. In fact, I was sharing with some of our our younger staff this week that when I was in seventh grade, I saved up $200, which was a lot of money in the 90s, to buy my own portable CD player. And they looked at me like, what? Because 10 years later, when they were that age, they were giving those things away for free. They were like, we gotta get these gone, you know? Um, and when it comes to cars, you know, cars are great. I'm so grateful for the cars that we have, but it turns out that driving a minivan is much more practical than a sports car. In fact, we took that to heart so much that we have two minivans, so that's pretty cool. And then when it comes to chores, you know, our kids do help a ton with chores, I'm very grateful for that. But I forgot about adult chores like cleaning the gutters and climbing on the roof to trim trees off your roof line and then cleaning up nasty water in the basement because somebody thought it'd be cool to flush a handful of baby wipes. Not that I know anything about that. And by the way, that was not the zebra, but I will not tell you who that was. <laughs> and the truth is, like, I know growing up is important. I have loved watching my kids grow up. I've loved watching them go from like pre-K age into school and now into teenage world and heading into adulthood. Well, I should say I loved it until my son got taller than me and now I have to hug up, you know what I mean, instead of hugging down, but I guess it's better than hugging a zebra, so that's, that's good news. <laughs> um, but it doesn't surprise me that adulting has become such a prevalent word in our culture, right? 
Um, if you don't know what adulting is, it's basically a reference to behaving like a responsible adult, particularly in accomplishing mundane but necessary tasks. And in case that doesn't make it clear, I brought a picture with me today. This is adulting. It's a dog walking itself, holding its own leash, <laughs> staying in the crosswalk. That's what being an adult is like, right? And before I discourage all the teenagers in the room, there, there are challenges to being an adult, but there are also challenges to being a teenager, but there are also some real joys to being an adult. And one of those is, I think, what Paul is talking about today. It's about this idea of becoming mature so that we can help other people become mature. And that's certainly true in our own personal lives, but it's also true in the life of the church. If we wanna be a church that develops devoted followers of Jesus, we have to become devoted followers of Jesus. We have to do the things that God has called us to do so that we can help others do those same things. And so how do we do that? <clears throat> well, Paul begins to talk about that in Ephesians chapter four, verse one. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. And before we move on, I think it's important that we know here that Paul is in prison. He's not just chilling at the first century Starbucks writing sermon notes on what maturity looks like. He's upset Rome enough that they have put him in prison. And rather than giving up or rejecting his faith or feeling sorry for himself, he chooses to see this as an opportunity to do something amazing. And so Paul writes, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. And I think it's important that we note here because sometimes in church world we get a little bit weird about this word calling. Sometimes we think that we, we refer to it like God called me to this specific thing, like being a pastor or being a missionary. That's not what Paul is talking about. Paul is saying he has called all of us, each and every single one of us, to become mature, to do the things that God has called us to do. And so how do we do that? Verses two and three, Paul begins to address that. He says, <clears throat> excuse me, verse two, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And so Paul says, step one toward that maturity, it's stop being arrogant, stop being brash. He says, be humble, be gentle, be patient, bearing with one another, patiently walking on the journey of faith together. And Paul says that we have to be united, and that's not something that we create, it's something that God has already done for us, but he's asking us to live into that unity, to maintain that unity. It's something that, that we have to fight for, it's something that we have to make effort to accomplish. And so Paul goes on in verse four to describe the unity that we have. He says this, he says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul is saying here, if we are unified to Jesus, then we are unified to his church. If we are unified to Jesus, then we are unified to his church. And that's not easy, right? It's, it's easy to be unified to Jesus. He offers us hope and forgiveness and grace and maturity. But let's be honest, it's tough to be unified to one another. And so why do we need to be unified or how are we unified? Well, let's read this again. And I wanna read it just a little bit differently this time. So there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Anybody tell me how many times the word one is used in this passage? Just shout it out. 
Seven, great, perfect. It's seven, and when we see the number seven in scripture, we know that it's there on purpose. It's, it's purposeful that that number was put there because this idea of seven in scripture points us to this idea of completeness or wholeness. And what God is saying, what Paul is saying here is that just as God is one, then we have to be one. As God is one, his church has to be one. And like I said, that's tough, and Paul knew it was tough because if we go back to verse three, Paul says this, he says, make every effort. Make every effort. He knew it wasn't gonna be easy for us. And so I wanna ask us today, are we making every effort? Are we making every effort to maintain unity, to be humble, to be gentle, to be patient, to be bearing with one another? Are we trying to be one as God is one? And as we think about that, I wanna ask you another super deep question. Have you ever accidentally punched yourself? This is not a hand-raising moment, but as somebody who has done this, I will just tell you, I think I'm probably not the only one. Um, But last summer, I I remember being in my garage, and we have shelves in the garage, and I was was trying to pull something off the shelf, and it just would not budge. And I've been thinking all week, like, what was that? I I just cannot remember. It's probably because I ended up punching myself in the head. Um, (laughs) But I remember just, like, pulling on this thing and pulling on this thing, and I remember looking at my hands and thinking, like, if this breaks free, I'm going to hit myself square in the face. And so I put my head to the side and I pulled and I pulled and I pulled and eventually it did break free, but my calculations were off and I hit myself in the chin really hard and I immediately had this moment like, did anybody see that? Okay, you know, like, and I went in the house and I'm like, Andrea, you're not gonna believe this, but I just punched myself in the face. And I know some of you are like secretly judging me right now, like, that that wasn't real smart, you know? And you'd be right, it wasn't smart. Because punching yourself isn't smart. In fact, right now we're gonna do a group activity. I need everybody to make a fist. I'm just kidding, we're not. I hope that none of you would actually do that. Because punching your own body doesn't make sense, right? Why would you inflict pain on your own body? And yet, when it comes to the body of Christ, we're often tempted to do the same thing. Whether it's through the actions that we, we live out, whether it's through the things that we say to and really about one another, whether it's through the contempt that we hold one another, it's, it's tempting at times to punch the body of Christ. And last week, Pastor Rick, he was talking about this idea of our vertical relationship with God and our horizontal relationship with one another. He shared a quote from another pastor that I wanna just share again today. Pastor Francis Chan says this, every time you speak evil about a member of the church, it's like you are taking a sledgehammer to the temple. That's strong. So what is the temple? In the Old Testament, the temple is the place that God's people went to worship him, to to see what he was like. It's where his presence resided. Today, we don't have a physical temple, but today, God's spirit lives in each of us. And so when people look at us, they see what God is like. And so if we are punching our own body, if we're taking a sledgehammer to the temple, what kind of picture does that show the world around us about what Jesus is like? See, if we're not humble, and gentle and patient and bearing with one another, like Paul said, then it's gonna be very, very difficult to keep the unity. So I wanna ask us this morning, what does this look like? What does it mean to you today to make every effort? Maybe for you, as you think about this, um, one of those words there pops out, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. Maybe there's, an idea that God is bringing to your mind right now of somebody that you need to reach out to to make things right. Because unity is so important 
to the way that the world sees Jesus. But having said that, I also wanna be careful to say that, that unity doesn't mean that we ignore brokenness or things that are wrong in the body of Christ. I think for some of us who maybe are a little bit more naturally humble or gentle, we could see things that we know are not the way that they should be and be tempted to just kind of ignore them for the sake of unity. So if you're somebody today who is maybe a little bit more naturally gentle or humble, <clears throat> maybe somebody who bears with other people well, maybe today I wanna encourage you to think about what could it mean to speak truth in a humble or gentle way? So I wanna ask you this week, as you go throughout your week, to think about this. What does it, what does it mean for you today to make every effort to, to go for unity in the body of Christ? You see, Paul starts, he says, the first step toward being unified in the body of Christ is to be humble, to be gentle, to be patient, to make every effort. But then he goes on in verse seven and he talks about something else. <clears throat> Excuse me, Ephesians four, verse seven says this. But to each one of us, Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and he gave gifts to his people. And that's the part here that says, grace has been given to us as Christ apportioned it. That's really about spiritual gifts. And what Paul is saying here is that Jesus has given each of us, every single one of us, some kind of gift and ability to build up the body of Christ. But then he goes on and he quotes Psalm 68. And he says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Psalm 68 is a psalm from the Old Testament where King David is writing about God overcoming his, his enemies and then rising to his throne, ascending to his throne, and then receiving gifts from people. And what Paul's saying here, he uses this as an opportunity to tell about the good news of Jesus. He says, Jesus, he overcame sin and he overcame death and he ultimately ascended to his throne, but rather than receiving gifts, he gave gifts to his body. And the verses that follow this are kind of strange, but it's important that we notice that they're in parentheses, right? They're, they're Paul describing what he just said. And so verses nine and 10 say this. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the universe. So what Paul is saying here, he's taking a chance to kind of clarify what Jesus has done for us. Jesus loved us so much that that he gave up his life, he descended, he was buried, ultimately so that he could rise victorious, overcoming sin and death, and ultimately ascend into heaven so that he could fill the whole universe. And so now that, that Paul's kind of described the gospel story, he returns to this idea of spiritual gifts. And in verse 11, he says this. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. And uh, there's some debate here about whether these are, are four or five things, but many scholars believe that pastors, teachers is actually one thing. And so I wanna kind of quickly describe uh, <clears throat> what each of these are. Apostles are people sent by Jesus to tell the story of his good news and to establish the church. And when we think about prophets, we often think about people who can foresee the future, right? And that's actually not what Paul is talking about here. In, in the Bible, prophets are people that God sends to a specific situation with a specific message that's appropriate for God's people at that time. In fact, the Old Testament is full of prophecy about calling God's people back to him. And then evangelists are those who share the good news of Jesus, and then pastor teachers are the people that God has given the gift to, to shepherd his flock, to care for them, to direct them, and then ultimately to, to teach them his word. And I think this is a really, really good list. It's an important list. 
Um, but I think there's also a danger in this list, and sometimes it can feel kind of discouraging, because we look at this list and we're like, man, these are gifts given to just a few people for a very specific purpose, and we have a, t- a tendency almost to exalt people in this role, which I think is honestly a really dangerous thing for us to do, because as Paul's already said, we each have a gift. God, Jesus has given each of us a gift to build up his church, and so why did Jesus give these gifts to some people? Well, Paul explains that in verse 12. He says this, Paul gave, or God, Jesus gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors, teachers, verse 12, to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You see, Paul's point here isn't that some are spiritually elite. That's not the case at all. In fact, he says that Jesus gave these gifts not for these people, but so that we could all benefit, so that we can all grow, so that we can all use the gifts that God has given us to use. And the reason? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You see, that's the goal. That's, that's what matters. It's not the apostles and the, the prophets and the evangelists and the pastor teachers that matter. It's that we all do what God has called us to do. In fact, I love our pastoral team. I love our staff. I'm so grateful to be a part of it. And I believe God has called us to this, this space for this season. But I also know that the measure of a pastor and a teacher is not about whether we can preach a great sermon. It's not about how well we lead. Those things are important. But the measure of a great pastor and a teacher is what happens when we leave this space. When we go out, are we using each of us using the gifts that God has given us to build up his body. <clears throat> and I know this may surprise some of you because I look like an elite athlete for sure, <laughs> but sports have not been a huge part of my journey. Uh, I did play a little bit of little league when I was younger um, until we switched from coach pitch to player pitch and then being a big target, I got hit a lot. And so I thought, you know what? I don't think baseball's for me anymore. <laughs> And uh, my dad would tell me later in life, he said, you know, I never saw somebody try so hard to run but go absolutely nowhere. And he, <laughs> he was totally right. Uh, <clears throat> and then, uh, you know, I, I got into the sport of bowling uh, for a while. And why are you laughing? It's a real sport. And then, um, and then freshman year of high school, MacArthur High School here in town. <laughs> okay. Go Generals. Uh, I, I played football uh, that year. My parents agreed to let me do that. Well, played football is maybe not the right way to say it. I was on the football team. Um, and I played offensive tackle mostly because I was good at being in the way. Um, the only problem is that I wasn't fast. I wasn't really strong. And I just didn't have that like killer spirit. Like I just didn't want to hurt other people, which is kind of a problem when you play football. And so basically what I'm telling you is I was every coach's dream player, right? <laughs> And what do you do when you're a coach with a player like that? Like, he wants to play, he wants to try and do his best, but he's just not good. Like, what do you do? Well, my coach decided that I would play every other play and I would run plays in, right? So the coach would give me the play, I would take it to the quarterback, the quarterback would call the play, and then we'd run the play, and then I would run off the field while somebody else ran the next play on. Well, you can imagine how bizarre that would be if the coach gave me the play, and I ran it into the quarterback, and the quarterback called the play, 
And then the team just kind of stood in the huddle and was like, that's a good play. That's, you called that play so great play calling, right? And then I ran off the field, nothing happened. I ran off the field, the next person ran off the field, gave, gave the play to the quarterback, and the quarterback called the play, and, and the team just kind of stood there and was like, have you thought of calling, starting a YouTube channel where you just call plays because you are so good at calling plays, right? I mean, that'd be bizarre, right? We wouldn't give up our Friday evenings or our Saturdays or our Sunday afternoons to watch that, right? And yet, when it comes to the church, we're often tempted to do that very thing, right? We come to church, we see some friends, we worship, we listen to a sermon, maybe even jot down a few notes, and then we walk out of this space and just kind of think about, okay, what's the next thing that I have to do with no real intention of running the play, of no real intention of doing what God has called us to do. And before you get defensive, just know that I'm also guilty of this, right? This is not unique to any of us. And yet Paul says, some were given the gift of pastor, teacher, to equip people for acts of service so that the body of Christ can be built up, reach unity, and become mature. And so I wanna ask you today, what does it mean for you, what does it mean for me today to run the play? What are the gifts and abilities that God has given you that you've been reluctant to use, that you've been hesitant to step into? What, what are the things that you know very well God has been calling you to do? And by the way, I think we probably all have these things that we've been reluctant to step into, we've been reluctant to run the play. Because as much as I don't like what I'm about to say, I think it's, it's very true. I think that delayed obedience or partial obedience is the, still the same thing is disobedience. Delayed obedience or partial disobedience is still the same thing as obedient, disobedience. Because when we delay obedience, we're really saying we're looking for a loophole or we're hoping that God is going to change his mind. And when it comes to partial obedience, it's really just about us feeling better about ourselves. So I wanna ask this again, myself included. What does it mean to you today to run the play? What does it mean to you to use the gifts, the abilities, just the resources God has given you to build up his body. Because as Paul reminds us, when we run the play, the body of Christ is built up until, verse 13, we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then when that happens, we get to go back to where we began today, where we, when we do what God has called us to do, when we run the play, when we make every effort to maintain the unity, then verse 14, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. When that happens, we're gonna be solid in our faith. We will not be easily swayed by culture. We will not easily be swayed by false teaching. Then in verse 15, instead, speaking in the truth and love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. For him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, and as every part does its work. And so why does maturity matter? Why does this idea of growing in our faith matter? Why does it matter that we make every effort? Why does it matter that we run the play? It matters because as these verses say, Jesus is the head and we are his body. Jesus is the head and we are his body. 
If we don't do what we were designed to do, then we give the world a really weird idea of what God is like, of what Jesus is like. And before I say what I'm about to say, I just wanna be very clear, this is a disclaimer. I love babies, I think they're fantastic, they're adorable, everybody heard that, right? Yes, babies are great. But let's be honest, babies are kind of strange. They're, they're sort of strange looking, like if nothing else, their heads are enormous, like compared to their bodies. Like if we as adults, if our heads stay that same ratio, can you imagine how big they would be? If any of you have ever played NBA Jam on big head, big head mode, you know what I'm talking about? If that doesn't make sense to you, don't worry about it. The other thing about babies is they move in strange ways, right? I remember my oldest daughter holding her on my lap when she was little and just watching her kind of like hold her hands in front of her and just look at them in sort of this uncoordinated way. And then there was this moment where I don't know if she had a twitch or she just got excited, but all this uncoordinated movement turned into one finger with ninja speed and accuracy right up my nostril. <laughs> and I didn't say anything inappropriate. I did cry, because it hurts a lot, okay? And I didn't drop her, right? So what's the point? Well, on the pathway of maturity, babies are a long way from being adults, right? And I, as far as I know, I've never seen an adult randomly jam their finger up another adult's <laughs> nose, right? And I also know that we don't go to babies to ask them about the meaning of life or to deal with difficult questions that we have or to try to find direction in our lives. No, we go to adults who are mature and wise. And so if we don't make every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit, to be humble, to be gentle, to be patient, to be bearing with one another, if we don't run the play, if we don't use the gifts that God has given each of us to do what he has called us to do, then we are presenting a picture to the world of what Jesus looks like that's more like a baby than it is like an adult. You see, Jesus is the same, the head is the same, that doesn't change. And Paul seems to be saying though that how we choose to live how we make every effort to live in unity with one another, how we use the gifts that he has given us has a direct impact on the way that people perceive Jesus. And while this is something that we do together as a church body, as a global church, it's also something that we each have to choose individually. So as we, as we wrap up, I wanna just revisit a couple of verses. Ephesians 4.16 says this. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As each part does its work. In other words, it's a decision that we each have to make. Will we each make every effort to maintain the unity? Are we willing to do what it takes to be humble and gentle, to, to bear with one another in the process? Are we willing to run the play to do the things that we know God has called us to do, to use the gifts that he's called us to use? Or maybe another way of saying it, in light of what Paul's written in this letter up to this point, is in light of what God has done for us and who he's called us to be, are we willing to grow up, to mature? Or as Paul puts it in Ephesians 4, 12 and 13, will we be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Would you pray with me? <clears throat>
God, we, we love you. And Father, we are so grateful for what you have done for us. God, as we reflect on this letter written by the Apostle Paul, Lord, we are reminded of your goodness to us, God, the ways that you provide for us. God, we are also reminded, though, that, God, as we start in our relationship with you as babies, God, you don't want us to stay that way. God, you invite us as we are, but you, you want us to become who you've called us to be. And so, God, I pray for us as a church, God, that, that each of us would step into this, Lord, that we would really be willing to, t- to make the effort to maintain unity here in our church, God, but across the globe so that your body becomes mature. And God, I pray that you would help us to each consider, Lord, what you've called us to that we may have been reluctant to step into and to boldly step into those things. God, again, so that other people would see who you really are. And so God, we pray these things in the name of Jesus, amen. As Jonathan reminded us, there's a shift that has happened in Ephesians where we, we learned about what God has done for us and how much he loves us and then moves into how we then live. Um, and we're in just a moment gonna sing a song about the Father's deep love for us. I don't know about you, but sometimes I make commitments about the things I wanna do, how I'm going to make every effort. But when I lean into my own strength, that motivation falls very fast and fails very fast. But when I lean into the reminder that God loves me so much and he gives me the power to do these things, that's when I see God do work and transform my life. And we remember that in communion. We remember God's deep love for us, that Jesus came, that he lived a sinless life, that he made a way for us to be made alive and to be made new and to do the things that he's called us to. So we're gonna take the bread together as we remember Jesus' body given for us. And we take the cup remembering Jesus' blood shed for us. Let's pray. God, thank you for the deep love that you have for us. Thank you for what you did through Jesus on the cross, that you've given us new life. And it's in that life and in the, that power that we can live a life worthy of the calling that you've given us, God. We love you and we thank you. You are so good and gracious. In your name, amen. Would you stand with us and continue to worship?
we're so glad that y'all have come with us and worshiped with us today and heard from the Lord. Um, before you go, don't forget, dads, grab your donuts. Um, but before we do that, why don't, why don't we read this passage of scripture together from Ephesians chapter three. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace and have a blessed week.